It's wonderful, man. It's great to be in church. My name is Gabe Phillips, and I get to be one of the pastors here um, and the, chief, uh, the mocker in chief of people who forget words. That's my job, you know. But uh, it's really, really great to have you here, and uh, it's a huge, huge privilege. Just before we jump into the Word of God together here in this room, just to let you know what's happening in the rooms behind us right now is a ministry called Life Kids. And for us, we, it is an incredible ministry. It's not glorified babysitting. We've got volunteers who've given up their time, their effort, their preparation to make sure they're putting the Bible uh, into, and the Spirit of God into your children into my children. And I, I couldn't be more, uh, more enthusiastic about it. I couldn't be more uh, appreciative of it. I've got a little four-year-old and two-year-old. And, uh, and it's so exciting to see the Word of God start to take shape of their hearts. So I want to encourage you right now. We, we, they also, what's amazing is they're starting a step, they're in a series on the book of John, just like us. So they'll be having similar uh, characters, similar lenses that we are engaging with here. And we believe there's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit, that the same Holy Spirit that's working there is at work here. So if you are a mom and dad, why don't we partner together? Why don't we partner together at home, read through the book of John with your little ones? I'm, I'm realizing that I'm trying to implement this, that, that on the way home from church or around the dinner table or any spare moment when Peppa Pig is not on, we, we have a conversation where I say, ask them these questions. What did you talk about at Life Kids? What do you remember from Life Kids this past week? And I'll be honest with you, I don't often get the best answers. Sometimes it, it, it makes me a little bit more dismayed. But I'll be honest with you, here's encouragement for you as parents. We're not trying to get the right answers. We just want to make sure we're asking the right questions. So make sure we're putting those questions in their laps at this time. And let's partner together and let's see God disciple incredible young people for His kingdom. So it's exciting together. Uh, speaking of children, I have a little girl called Olivia, and she's a budding artist. And a little while ago, I arrived home, and she rushed out to meet me and said, Dad, 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 look at this picture. And I was like, Lives, it is amazing. It's beautiful. But then I asked what most parents would ask about a four-year-old who's just drawn a picture. What is it? And she looked very offended. She stepped back and said, Dad, it's you. To which, which I responded by matching her offense, saying, that does not look like me. The head is out of proportion. There's, there's no muscular tone to that body you've drawn. There's no six-pack represented there. It, it is, I mean, come on. There's, that, that skin is way too dark. Come on. Pale is the new cool. I'm like, I'm like, no, no, lives. Uh, just, no, just, just, I was just, uh, this doesn't look like me. I'll tell, I'll tell you what. Just between you and I, she is no Leonardo da Vinci. More leaning into the Picasso thing of, of the art world. Eyes askew. I was like, whoa, am I, am I that squint? Wow, I didn't know that, lives. Thanks. But I did what every self-respecting millennial parent did. I said, that's amazing. I took the picture, put it on the fridge, and I gave her a medal for participation. I said, you can do whatever you want to do. Just not become an artist. Anyway, a few days ago, uh, in a similar sort of moment, or a different moment, but, but uh, you'll get where I'm going now, is that in the middle of the night, our little boy Benjamin, the other child, was in, in his cot. And this, this cot that we have is a, a third generation life changes cot. It's been handed by, down by one parent to the next parent and it's found its way to us. But this, this, this cot is not making it to a fourth generation, I tell you. This thing is on its last legs, literally. It is held together by tape and prayers. That thing is just, I just like, got it. This, we are gonna, we're not getting a new cot. This thing will last you until you get into a bigger bed. And, uh, but the one night, I, woke up, I was awoken from my sleep because I heard a, a snap, a bang, a pop, and it wasn't Kellogg's. No, it was, it was right in that moment, the cot was collapsing underneath Benjamin. 
in the middle of the night, just fell apart. Literally, the legs went this way, the base fell apart, and Benji woke up screaming, terrified, because his whole world was shaken in that moment. He was caught in the debris of splinters and, 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 and slats going left and right. And, 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 I, and I was woken up. I thought I had a bit of flashback to the war until I realized what war. I wasn't in the war. Then I thought, you know, they, they, they're coming over the perimeter. I don't know, people are attacking us. What's going on? So I realized it's coming from Benji's room. So I ran headlong into that dark room, not seeing what's going on, not knowing what is going on. And, uh, and I just found my way to this little cry, this cry for help. I picked up this boy and unsolicited, this Benjamin said this in the dark in my ears. He put his head here as his whole world had come crashing down literally around him. He whispered in my ears and said, Daddy's here, Daddy's here, Daddy's here. Melted my heart, imprinted in my brain forever. But an incredible understanding of what is going on right now in the spiritual. I want to tell you those two little pictures, those two little stories of my children. I believe that the world, has, the church, Christians have been living off poorly drawn caricatures of what God is like for way too long. A representation that does not truly reflect who he is, what he's like. And we've become more and more distorted, more and more uh, distant and removed from it. And we're trying to make up a best what God looks like. But I want to tell you our cheap caricature version of Jesus, the political Jesus, the, the, the white Jesus, the black Jesus, the hippie Jesus, the conservative Jesus, the liberal Jesus, the woke joke broke Jesus, whatever Jesus you want to insert into there will not suffice in the day of darkness. When your world comes crashing down around you, you need, when you cannot see when that doctor's diagnosis comes, when the relationship ends, when that fear comes come knocking at the door of your heart, when darkness descends, you need to know what your father looks like. Dad is here. And the Bible says it this way. It says, if you want to know what God is, looks, looks like, look at Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the father. And I want to remind us that actually maybe you've heard these statements and I don't think God would ever do that, X, Y, Z. Or I don't think God would respond like that, X, Y, Z. I want to tell you, we are people who are not making it up in our own minds. We're wanting to see Jesus clearly for who he is. Not through our lens, not through our prejudice, not through our preference, not through our political bias, but actually Jesus of the Bible, unfiltered. That is what we are on about in the series. And I, and I love this because actually we want to lean into the book of John. Why? Because John was a disciple whom Jesus loved dearly, but also probably the closest thing to a best friend on earth that Jesus had, John. And John writes his book about Jesus' life with this agenda at play, that he wants to show us Jesus unfiltered through new lenses, through the reality of who, what he is really like. So much so that in John chapter 1, the first three words of John chapter 1 are these. In the beginning. If you have any biblical acumen or theology background, you'll realize those aren't the first time those words are play in the scriptures. Page 1, Genesis 1 verse 1 starts off with the same words, in the beginning. So what is John doing here? Actually, it could almost be seen as heresy. What is he doing? He's, he seems, are you repainting the faith that was handed down of old? No, no, no. John is saying, no, I'm reclaiming the faith that you've allowed to become distorted, you've allowed to become filtered, diluted. And actually, I want to show you that God is not finished yet, that God is actually recreating. He's doing something new. It's called the new creation in the beginning. And he's declaring the truth of who Jesus is. And in our verse that we're launching out of, as John 1 verse 14 says, the word, namely Jesus, became flesh, put on humanity, and walked into our neighborhoods. He walked into our dark neighborhood. He walked into our depraved neighborhood. He walked into our depressed neighborhood. He walked into our defeated, dust-filled neighborhood. Divinity became flesh. 
And this is what we're on about because I'm, I want to encourage you today that we are preaching Jesus unfiltered, removing the filters so we can see him clearly like we've never seen him before. So today, John chapter 3, verse 1 to 21, also wanting to reclaim this text. It's a, a, a very, a, in Christendom, a famous text, but I think it's been pulled apart and uh, verses in isolation and have, and have been put on, on door frames and, and people declare them at moments that, that seem apt, but actually I want to reclaim them for us as the body. Not just for a select few, not just for an entryway into Christianity, but actually this is for every single one of us. So lean in with faith today. John chapter 3, verse 1 to 21. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark, one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word in this moment, the power to open blinded eyes. I pray, open every single eye here today so that we may see you. Open our hearts so that we may know you. And I thank you, Father. I pray a bold prayer. Would you set the captives free? At every level, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Unfiltered, undiluted freedom in Jesus. So I thank you that we would see you rightly so we can walk rightly. And I thank you, Father, for these things that for people who were once in darkness have now seen a great light. We want to see you, Jesus, unfiltered. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. My premise is simple today. My prayer is simple that I want you to have this deep in your heart, deep in your psyche, deep in your spirit from this moment forth is that Jesus wants to do something new in you. Let me say it again. Jesus wants to do Something new in you. Jesus wants to do it. His agenda, 
Not my agenda. Jesus' agenda. He wants to do it. He is leaning in with faith in this moment. You think you have faith? It does not match the faith of the Son of God who ever lives to pray for you. He's leaning in this moment. He wants to do something. And He wants to do something new. Not something old, not something religious, not a patch just to keep you going for a few more days. He wants to do something new. And best news of all, He wants to do it in you. In you, in you, not the spiritual elite, not those who seem qualified for it, not those who've got their lives together. No, in you. Jesus wants to do something new in you. So why don't we preach this together? Are you okay to preach this with me today? Thank you, guys. Why don't you turn to somebody around you, your wife, your spouse, your neighbor, your friend, the stranger that you've never said hello to yet. Why don't you look them in the eye and declare with faith, Jesus wants to do something new in you. Let's do it. So there are three things that I believe from this text that shows us that we stop us encountering Jesus unfiltered. And the first of these is darkness. Darkness. You see, we, the text opens with this man, Nicodemus. He's a, a Pharisee, a, a religious elite teacher uh, from, a, a, the, the, from the Sanhedrin, and he's a spiritual man, a godly man, a good man by all extents uh, and all outward appearances. He's, he's, he's biblically literate. He knows the Torah and the Tanakh backwards. He, he tithes. He teaches. He doesn't eat bacon. He doesn't listen to Nickelback. I'm just throwing that in there. Anyway, let's move on very quickly. Sorry. Still, still struggling. He, mem- he has memorized and obeyed the law. This man, outward appearances and, and, and external factors, looks like a man who's got it all together spiritually. And yet, he's not satisfied. And yet, he knows that something isn't quite right. You see... The text tells us that Nicodemus, this Pharisee from the Sanhedrin, arrives after dark to come talk to Jesus. Now those words, after dark, other translations say late at night or in the darkness of the night. That word there, I want to help us become Greek scholars today. I want to expand your your Greek understanding further than the word baklava and smashing of plates. That word after dark there could be translated, scholars are are a fight over that word because they say the word is niktos, which means the time of night. So the sun's gone down, it's that time, that exact time of night. But, but actually it goes against what John is trying to do because actually John doesn't use that word niktos throughout the rest of the text. He uses the word, when he talks around the word darkness, he uses the word scotias. Scotias. And it's this incredible word that actually we have to understand, a word that means darkness, that means disillusionment, despair, or spiritual oppression. He uses it in John chapter 1 when he says that the light came to the world but the darkness, the Scotias, has not understood it. In John chapter 20, he uses when he frames Mary coming on, the, on despair and disillusionment and depression and brokenness to the tomb because Jesus, he thought Jesus was dead and not coming back. It says, in the darkness, she arrived at the tomb. That word there is Scotias. It's all the way through. Luke, uh, John, is, John is trying to show us this understanding of this reality. And I want to remind us that at this moment, that the, the Nicodemus is coming on the edge of some very real Scotias. 430 years of Scotias. You see, it was 430 years since the, 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 the Jewish writings have been closed on the book of Malachi and the last known uh, word that's give, come from heaven towards the people, the last oracle from heaven that's come to people, is it, they call it the, those 430 years up to this moment, the silent years. Retrospectively, they call them the silent years because it felt like to the people of Israel that God had gone silent. Or should I say, maybe they just weren't listening. 
And they thought that God was done. And he was now just now nursing and rehearsing the old story again and again and again until we get there. And they start putting on patches and trying to walk this life of just keeping things together. For 430 years, they've come up on the edge of Scotius. So Nicodemus arrives at this moment. I want to tell you, I love Nicodemus because actually at this moment, he pushes through the darkness. He pushes through the Scotius. He pushes through it at great personal cost. He doesn't stay on the periphery looking in, but he says, there's something more. My filter, I, I need to push beyond this filter. I need to see him. I don't fully understand it. I don't fully get it, but I need to get in. But there's so much odds stacked against him. I want to talk to you today about something called spiritual oppression. The Bible is, is so clear. It says that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against powers and principalities of scortias, darkness. And I think that's a verse for Christians these days. If you want to put a verse on your fridge, put that on your fridge. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of darkness. We do not follow, fight against political powers. We don't fight against uh, what they say in America and this conspiracy theorist and that thing. And looking. No, we fight against an enemy that is hell-bent on destroying us. And we have to understand that reality because the, the Bible goes on to tell us in Corinthians that the God of this age, Satan himself, has blinded us. He has left us in the dark, in the squat. He has fine trying to make our way through this life of, of trying our best but falling short, trying our best but falling short and describing things but not actually knowing the true reality of them because the enemy's greatest person, purpose is not to make you feel life is tough, not to give you a bad day, not to steal your parking spot, not to really uh, irritate you. No, the enemy's purpose is to stop you from getting to Jesus. He sometimes may even leave you alone because he knows that you won't find your way back to Jesus. But I'm telling you, the enemy is a hell-bent against you finding Jesus. So I want to tell you today, maybe it feels like God has stopped speaking to you. Maybe it feels like you've run out of words for your situation. Maybe you've just stopped believing. That situation, that thing can change. I want to tell you today that your depression, your deep-seated anguish, your secret wrestle, that physical pain that won't loosen its grip, I, I want to say that I believe, yes, there are natural things that happen, but I believe there's a higher plane. How can you understand only earthly things? How can you understand heavenly things if you're not aware of earthly things? Right now, the enemy of darkness is wanting to keep you at arm's length away from Jesus. But I love this reality for us today. I want to tell you that it's the similar play of the enemy. Right now, the Spirit of God is drawing you out of that darkness. He is drawing you. You think you've arrived here today because this is your habit. You think you've arrived here today because your friend invited you. You think you arrived here because you thought it was 8.30 and you arrived late and you got here to the service time. I want to tell you, no, 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 no. I tell you, the Spirit of God is drawing you here. He's been drawing you here. And maybe it's been for two years, 20 years, 30 years. He has not stopped drawing you. He has not let his grip on you. The darkness maybe seemed like it's come all around you and you feel so submergent. He says, I will not lose my grip on you. I am drawing you to myself. And Nicodemus came to Jesus through the Scordius, but I tell you on the other side of that, Jesus was drawing him. I say it again, Jesus wants to do something new in you. Secondly, not just darkness, but distance. Jesus says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? Nicodemus asked, how can an old man go back into his mother's room and be born again? 
It is a complexing story. Jesus is saying to him, you have to be born again. This is maybe in our, in our charismatic flow. We go, oh, that's a phrase. But I want to reclaim the phrase to what Nicodemus heard. It was bizarre. It was weird. It was totally opposed to the religious system of his heart and the day and of humanity. He's basically, in a sense, saying, how can that be? He's basically saying, how do I get in on this kingdom of God? It's, you see, it's so, it's so huge. He's actually asking the, and showing us the premise of every religion on the face of the planet. You see, he comes from Judaism, which had over 613 laws, explicit laws for him to obey. 365 of them were negative, thou shalt not. 200, uh, my math is bad. 248 were positive of what you should do and how you should live your life. And this huge weight of trying to do it. And, and it was how to bridge this divide between man and God, how to get to God. And it's summed up in Psalm 24, it says, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Only those with clean hands and a pure heart. So the nation of Israel and Judaism, even to this day, lives this life with that as its compass. How do we get up there? We have to cleanse our outward and work on the inward until it's pure enough to ascend the hill. But it's not just them. It's Islam. Five pillars of faith. Yes, these are headlines and caricatures potentially, but I want to tell you, these are the very essence of these religions. Islam is five pillars of faith. Get to the end of your life observe and, and, and live your life in performing to these five pillars and God will weigh how you've done them on scales. And at the very end, you just got to hope that the good outweighs the bad. And it comes down to a, a flip of a coin at that moment, which way is my, how will I get in? Buddhism, it says, find the secret, attain to some higher plane and reach a state of nirvana. Hinduism says a soul is punished or rewarded based on its past actions or karma and that leads to positive or negative reincarnation. Do well, and you come back as a house cat. Woo! Got hope, on, hope against hope there. Secularism, the God and religion of our day and age, says you do you. Reject anything that doesn't make you happy. Make sure people see and applaud your virtue on social media. Define your own truth, but God forbid that that truth impedes on my truth. And let me tell you, most forms of Christianity that are being preached in pulpits around our world today. This is the prayer that is being preached by most forms of Christianity up until this moment is this. My true self who art inside me. Humanism is thy name. My happiness come. My pleasure be done in life as I see it on Instagram. Give me today everything my heart can dream of and forgive me for ever thinking of others. Lead us not into repentance, but deliver us from true Christianity. And maybe that might seem humorous or might seem, ah, is that really real? I won't tell you. There's a form of Christianity that's preached as moral, therapeutic deism. Why? Because it's all preached about God, but through the lens of you. And that's why books, Christian books, Christian books are being sold off the shelves and their titles are basically parading, setting up another mountain. How do we get up the mountain? Seven steps to your destiny. Christian. Seven ways into favor. Live your best life now. And they sell like hotcakes, but I'm telling you, they're selling us into a religion of death and distance. You see, because the thing that separates true Christianity, unfiltered Jesus, from every other religion on the face of the world is this fact. Every religion says, make your way to God. Jesus says, I'm coming to you. And the word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood, into our depravity, into our disillusionment, into our darkness. The son of God was birthed into a natural womb so the sons of men could be born again, supernaturally. 
me tell you that I love this because actually Nicodemus was standing there as, a, as an Israelite, a man who was trying to live faithfully as an Israelite, was like the nation of Israel. The na- they were looking for the true Israel and for the true Israelite. Who would be the one who would be able to keep the commandments? But Jesus is coming, he's dismantling them, saying, actually, it's not about Israel, it's not about the Israelites, it's about me. I'm taking off the filters, I need you to see me. So much so that actually the book of Matthew is lined up to show us that this is what the true Israelite looks like. You see, Israel, at the time in, in captivity in Egypt, Pharaoh stood up and said, kill all the firstborns. Fast forward in Matthew chapter 2, Jesus is born, and a false Pharaoh called Herod comes and says, kill all the falseborn, firstborns. Then in Matthew, we go back to this story. We find they come, they get set free out of Egypt. At the end of Matthew chapter 2, Jesus leaves Egypt. In Matthew, go back to this story. The nation of Israel leave Egypt and they go through the sea, the Red Sea. They go through that into their victory. On this side here in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus gets baptized, goes through the waters of baptism. On this side, out of the waters of the Red Sea, the Israelite nation goes through 40 years wandering in the desert. On this side of the baptism, Jesus comes out the water and goes through 40 days in the wilderness. On this side here, in the the wilderness, for 40 years, they get the Ten Commandments, the way to see and live rightly and see God, what God has spoken to humanity. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus stands and says, the Sermon on the Mount, and says, you have heard it said, but now I unfilter it and tell you this is what the truth is. Jesus says, I am the true Israel. And he, he goes on to us today and he tells us this. He says, he says categorical statements. He says, I am the way. He says, I am the door. No one comes in except through these ways, through this door. Now, and if we want to be popular preachers or a popular church in this culture, we say, Jesus is a way. I don't want to put it on you. I don't know what your belief system is, but I want to just say, consider it. Or we say things like, you know, Jesus is my way. Personal testimony, so it can't offend you. But I won't tell you the Bible is offensive. It says that he's the way. I want us to unfilter this. Because I really believe that every other Lord is false. And no one is saying it. People are leaving the door open. And I want to tell you, this is a season for the church to slam doors shut. If you want to walk through into the life, into the freedom, into the liberty, into the purpose that Jesus has for every believer, we have to slam other doors shut. And I prophetically believe, and I want to speak this uh, with with candor right now, I I really believe that there might be people here, maybe one or two of you, who've been dabbling in witchcraft. You've been, you've been dabbling, you've been, you've been playing games with, uh, with new age practices and, and spirit mediums. And maybe you've got your reasons and maybe you just say, I'm just trying to, I want to just tell you, slam that door shut. The enemy comes and parades as, as, a, as a God of light, but he's darkness. And he wants to take you captive. But I also want to speak now to not just the ones and twos, I want to speak to every heart in this room. Would you slam the door shut on this, any sense of spiritual arrogance? that you think that we are better than others. You see, I really believe that I'd rather come face to face with a raging, frothing at the mouth, demon-possessed man or woman than come face to face with a hard-hearted man or woman. Let me tell you why. Because you can speak one word and that demon flees, but you can speak a thousand words and that heart gets harder and harder and harder. And offense has got in. And you, and you think that's offense. Oh, no, it's not, it's offense is spiritual arrogance. I can't forgive them. And bitterness and, and you set yourself, and what does all it does? It just creates this distance. We move further and further away from the life of God, and we put our filters, because I view God through my Father who let me down. I view life through my pastor who let me down, my friend who let me down. And I view life, I'm trying to get to God. Why can't I get to you, God? Because you've created a hard heart. Yeah. 
that won't let him in. Some slam the door shut. So I tell you, Jesus said this way, no one can enter the kingdom without being born of water and the spirit. Uh, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. I want to tell you again, Jesus wants to do something new in you. Thirdly and finally, the third filter, if you will, that clouds our vision of Jesus is death. What I mean by that is that Nicodemus comes in his final words that he says in the, the whole breath of Scripture. He makes a cameo appearance at Jesus' tomb with Joseph of Arimathea later in the book. But this is his last words, a man of many words, a man who's made his living trying to describe what God is like. His last recorded words in the Bible are these words. When Jesus says to him, you must be born of the Spirit, he says, how is this possible? What beautiful words to make you bow out. I'm done. Exit stage left. As Jesus tells us how it is possible. I want to tell you, in a sense, he's throwing his hands up in despair because in a moment he makes a declaration, which is so true, that the world is not separated in good, into good and bad people. The world is not separated into a sliding scale from Adolf Hitler all the way to Mother Teresa and find yourself on that list. Oh, I have my bad days. No saints, but you know, I'm not that guy. No, 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 no. The Bible is so clear. It says, no, the world is separated in dead people and alive people. And there's only one thing that separates that. That's Christ has made them alive. And let me tell you, uh, there's a hit Netflix series called Walking, The Walking Dead. But I want to tell you, The Walking Dead would be a great apt descriptor of many Christ Christians' walks with Jesus. They're walking, but they're dead. They're proclaiming the name, but they're not practicing his life. The walking dead. And the Bible says that our religious acts, when if there's no life inside of us, they're like filthy rags. Filthy rags. They do nothing for us. They do no good. And Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 3 says that we were dead, disobedient, and doomed without Christ, without His life. And this is the, the huge thing for you and I. I've got this illustration in my head that just really sums it up well. What, what a lot of our lives feel like is my little girl, Olivia, will often come and say, Livy, tidy your room. And Olivia, um, her mum, Fiona, has got done, gone to exorbitant lengths to make little, um, little compartments where soft toys, labeled. Art supplies, labeled. Puzzles, labeled. You know, just as she's, my wife is amazing. She's done all that. But when it's time to tidy up, and those have all been unpacked, and the mess is just so huge, Olivia doesn't know what to do with all this mess, so what she does is just shoves it all into one cupboard. Everything into the cupboard, just, just throwing everything. And then when we come in, you say, I'm going to come check if that room's tidy. And she's like, at the last minute, she flings that door shut. And she's like holding the door like this. It's clean, Dad. And that cupboard is heaving. You, you can see in your mind's eyes. It's like it's, it's creaking. And a little four-year-old body is just shaking, trying to hold this thing together. It's all fine, Dad. It's all okay. There's no mess here anymore. And with, at any moment, I'm expecting that whole thing to come crashing down on her. Most of us live our lives like that. Trying to just hold it all together. Trying to tidy up that mess as best as we can. Trying to put that addiction, that thing, just hold it. I hope no one sees it, knows about it. It's exhausting. It's leading you to death. We've put filters on our Instagram, filters on our churches. We've put filters even on our coffins. I want to tell you if I've dropped down dead now, please put me in a box. Ship me out to sea. 
I'll tell you why. Because actually people spend exorbitant amount of money going to debt just to, to get a really beautiful coffin that's got engraving and they, they dress up with flowers. And I'm not speaking ill of that. Whatever you do, whatever you need to do to, to honor those who pass on. But I want to tell you, we're spending money to dress up things that are dead. Stick with me. That's what we do in the church. We spend all our time, all our lives, all our energies, all our emotions just dressing up something that's just dead. Putting filters there. I want to tell you today, you can be set free from not just the penalty of sin. I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. You can be set free from the power of sin now. I believe it. I strongly believe it. That the enemy thought he had you. Jesus said, you're mine. You're mine. The darkness felt deep. The distance felt far. The death seemed final. Jesus said, you're mine. And I want to give you the implication of how we walk into that. I want to tell you again, Jesus wants to do something new in you. How do I know that? Because there's a word that I want to encourage you with. One final Greek word for your lunch table. It's the word dunamis. Dunamis, which means power. Power. And not Eskom power that gets turned on and off at will, but power, dynamic, explosive power, where we get the word dynamite from. It means power. And this is an incredible word that means this. And the Bible says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of dunamis, of power. Not just of nursing and rehearsing and talking about what, what God really wants to do, no, but actually walking into it, removing the filters and walking into what Jesus has for us. Power. And it comes to the Spirit of God the pneuma of God, the breath of God. And this is how the Spirit of God works. He, number one, He draws you. He draws you. He draws you. The Bible is called prevenient grace. The grace that goes before even you make a decision. His grace goes before that. He says, you did not choose me, I chose you. He says, while you were dead, I, I made you alive. He said, it's my kindness that leads you, that draws you to repentance, even while you're feeling so despondent this morning. Now I tell you, what is God doing right now? He's smiling and drawing you to Himself. Not only does He draw you, He illuminates you. You know that moment where from eight to 10, the power's gone off, boom, it's dark. And we've, after a while, you start to get used to the darkness. Start to know, ah, oh, that's what my wife looks like. Yeah, yeah, there she's there. That's what the fridge looks like. You know, we work our way around the house. We know where to go. Almost we get used and accustomed to the darkness. But then, load shedding, clicks over. Boom. The TV you forgot, boom, comes back on loudly and disturbs everyone. The lights come back on. The dishwasher starts. The microwave finishes its course. They're just everything is back on loud. The fans are going because the power has come back. The Spirit of God wants to do that to you. He wants to do to you. You've become accustomed to the darkness, accustomed to the spiritual oppression. He wants to illuminate right now. Bring light. Sight to eyes that have gone dark. And finally, He awakens us from our slumber. Awake, church. Spirit of, Spirit of power wants to awaken His church. He wants to awaken His church. How does He do that? He gives us a new heart. He, I believe God cuts out our old, cynical, unbelieving, disobedient heart, our heart of stone. He puts in a heart of flesh that can understand spiritual things. He gives us a new nature. He says that we are not born of a husband's will or human's decision. We're born of God. We're not born of biology. We're not born of bios. We, we, this, uh, this is what the one plus one equals this and sin plus sin equals that and this equals that. No, we're not born of our bios. We're born of the Zoe life of God that says I'm gonna come and intersect where your biology has failed, where your relationships failed. My life intersects. This is the good news of God. No matter how far you have descended into the depths of your sin, the 
the Spirit of God will not relent in his pursuit of his sons and daughters. He's pulling. He's pulling us home. He's pulling us back into his will. And I tell you, I describe it this way. The Bible for me is, 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 is categorized in this way. In, in Genesis chapter 1, it tells us in the beginning, the earth was dark, scortious, formless and empty. But the Spirit of God was hovering over the depths, was overshadowing the depths. And in that moment, he was just waiting for the Word of God to be spoken. Let there be light. Boom! And creation leapt into being. The Zoe life of God, the dunamis of God was released into that situation and life exploded. In Luke chapter one, we find a young lady named Mary. She's a virgin. She's barren, unable physically, biologically to have a child in that moment. But the angel of God comes and says, Mary, you're gonna carry the seed of the Messiah. How can this be? She said, echoing Nicodemus's words. He said, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you He's going to overshadow you, the same word in Genesis 1, and boom, the life of God will be impregnated in you. The Zoe life of God. In the end of the Gospels, we find Jesus laid to, laid to rest in darkness, laid to rest in Scotias, laid to rest in that place of despair and brokenness where no one comes back from. But this Bible tells us the Spirit of the living God was there, and He raised Jesus to life come and call forth and the Spirit of God came and fused and He raised to life from the dead. And then in Acts chapter 2, we find a church who Jesus left them and said, stay and wait for me. And they, they're nervous, they're fearful, they're anxious. Their hearts are, are empty. Their hearts, hearts are feeling, what do we do? But in that moment, He says, wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. I'll come upon you and give you power. Dunamis. Boom! The Spirit of God comes on the believers. I put it this way. From the boom to the womb, to the tomb, to the upper room, the Holy Spirit says, I'll have my way. If it's dark, if it's distant, if it's dead, I can still move. Can we stand to our feet today? Jesus went to the cross and on the cross, our hope is that on the cross, Jesus went naked, stripped, of all who called his name, called him family, those ran away, those left him, abandoned by all. And on that cross, he became our darkness. He waged war with spiritual oppression once and for all. He went the full rounds and landed the knockout blow. He became our darkness. On that cross, he became the distance. He said, Father, why have you forsaken me? He became that separation in that moment. So his sons and daughters, may never feel that separation from the Heavenly Father. And on the cross, He died a death that we deserved. He became our sin so we could be forgiven and have eternal life. He became our darkness, our distance, our death. He overcame our spiritual oppression. He overcame our separation. He overcame our sin. Jesus went to the grave so that we could come out filled with life. Today, I tell you again, Jesus wants to do something new in you, in you, in me, in you, in me. We put on filters and facades to keep the world out, but I tell you today, we need to take them down to let the Spirit of God in. If you like me today saying, I need to behold Him with a face unfiltered so I can see Him in His glory unfiltered, lift your hands with me. No matter how far you've run, no matter how deep you've gone, no matter how 
much you've betrayed Him. I thank You right now as hands are lifted. I thank You, Jesus, by the Spirit of God, You are softening hearts. Hearts have been calcified by offence and bitterness and betrayal and anger. I thank You, God, You're softening hearts across this room so that You can move afresh. I thank You, Father God, that You are healing broken hearts. Right now, God, You're healing broken hearts, broken relationships, broken trust, broken agendas, broken from life. I thank You, Father God, You're healing and mending. What biology couldn't do, the Zoe life of God does now. And I thank You, Father God, that ultimately You're raising dead hearts to life. You're awakening, You're drawing, You're illuminating, You're awakening us to life, real life in Jesus, real life unfiltered. Jesus unfiltered, we behold You. Right now, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Lift your hands, Sim, lift your hands. I don't wanna just talk about Jesus and not expect Him to move. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. I thank you, you will do what only you can do. Show us the Father, show us the Son. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here moving over our dark areas, moving over our most broken spaces and breathing your life, breathing your life and inviting us right now, drawing us in. I thank you, Jesus, we lead to you right now. Why don't we worship together?